Since you wrote your books 20, 30 years ago, population... 40 years ago. Since you wrote your book 40 years ago, population has increased almost as much as you predicted. Have the environmental problems uh, followed exactly what you thought? And not, nothing follows exactly what you think. No scientist ever 40 years later would think the same thing that they thought 40 years before in an act of science. But basically, most of the things have gotten worse. The book that I wrote uh, was accurate on what happens in population. It was inaccurate in some other areas. But you got to remember, at that time, for example, I wrote about climate change, but we thought that we didn't know whether it was going to be warming or cooling, and we thought it was going to be a problem for the end of this century. Now we know it's warming, and it's a problem for the beginning of the century. We didn't know about ozone depletion. We didn't know about the loss of biodiversity. So the things that have been coming up have been much worse than we predicted, and uh, that's what's got the scientific community scared. Ooh, are you scared? Are you afraid? Well, maybe you should be, but not necessarily for the reasons that the eugenicists are telling you to be. Well, welcome to the broadcast, friends. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. You're tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on this Friday night edition of the broadcast on RepublicBroadcasting.org. And you have just been listening to Paul Ehrlich, who is the absolutely famous scientific guru who wrote The Population Bomb back in 1968, the best-selling book that was telling you that in the next 40 years, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and the entire civilization of the planet Earth, the human species itself, is at risk because of the terrible scourge of overpopulation. Mwahaha. And he's still around, and he's still basically singing the exact same tune. And uh, and the amazing thing is that after 40 years of this population crisis failing to materialize in the way that he said it would materialize, he is still with a straight face and with all of this academic uh, acumen and all of the, the, the accolades that he's received and the honors and, oh, he's such an expert, people are still listening to him as he continues to say basically the exact same thing he was writing about 40 four years ago and unfortunately yes the 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 call is the same the uh, the science may have changed and and things may be uh, couched in different terms but the the call is the same it's the still the same eugenics based depopulation drive that we've been documenting in such painstaking detail here on this broadcast for low these many months and ultimately on corporatereport.com for low these many years and just for more information about that interview you can go to guardian.co.uk i'll put the link into that interview in tonight's show notes at corporatereport.com slash radio and there's another uh, article that uh, follows up on that interview where it notes cut world population and redistribute resources expert urges and there's that deployment of that term that they just love to throw out at you expert oh it's a scientific expert well i guess anything he says must be right reading from this article that just came out on guardian.co.uk quote the world's most renowned population analyst has called for a massive reduction in the number of humans and for natural resources to be redistributed from the rich to the poor paul ehrlich being professor of population studies at stanford university in california and author of the best-selling population bomb book in 1968 goes much further than the royal society in london which this morning said that physical numbers were as important as the amount of natural resources consumed the optimum population of earth 
enough to guarantee the minimal physical ingredients of a decent life to everyone, was 1.5 to 2 billion people, rather than the 7 billion who are alive today, or the 9 billion expected in 2050, said Ehrlich in an interview with The Guardian. Well, I will leave that disgusting, venomous piece of tripe there for you to digest on your own time, but suffice it to say, yes, the eugenics-obsessed eugenics elite are still arguing the same ridiculous, debunked Malthusian garbage that they've been arguing for the past at least two centuries, if not more. And yes, two centuries of the sky failing to fall on all of our heads has not convinced these people that they're wrong. So more on Paul Ehrlich and the eugenics depopulation agenda after this. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. No matter how hard you try, you can't stop us now. Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. James Corbett here, CorbettReport.com. You're tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on this Friday night edition of the broadcast. And tonight we're going over the depopulation agenda of the eugenics-obsessed elite, as we've gone over before on this broadcast. But here we have Paul Ehrlich, the renowned population analyst, coming out with new remarks, basically saying that over half of the population of the planet has to die in order for, for us all to live. And more of the same chicken little sky is falling garbage that they've been trying to push down our throats for generations and centuries. And it's important to understand that, of course, they are—they have been completely debunked in their hype and their alarmism time and time again. And that's not overstating the case. That's not just pulling facts out of my hat. That is very much demonstrable. So I will draw your attention to an excellent article called Accurate Tribute to Paul Ehrlich, Mad, Kook, Lunatic, Disgraced, Worse Than Hitler, Fearmonger, Parasite on Academic System, Bernie Madoff of Science. And that's available from climatedepot.com. And it went over the uh, the absolutely debunked nature of Paul Ehrlich's overpopulation fearmongering. And that came back out back on March 8th of 2010. And it was in the wake of the publication of that article on ClimateDepot.com that I got to talk to the founder of Climate Depot, Mark Morano, who does an excellent job of keeping up on all of the climate alarmism, hype, and fear-mongering that goes on, much to the disgrace of uh, the scientists who are actually looking at what's really happening in the world. And I got to talk to Mark Morano back in 2010 in the wake of that article about Paul Ehrlich and his disgraced overpopulation fear-mongering. So tonight we're going to be listening to excerpts from that conversation, which is available from CorbettReport.com. Here's my interview with Mark Morano. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com and ClimateGate.tv. It's the 4th of March, 2010, and today I'm joined by Mark Morano, former communications director for Senator James Inhofe on the Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, and currently the man behind the extremely popular ClimateDepot.com. Mr. Morano, thank you for joining me today on the program. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, uh, I, I want to talk uh, specifically today about uh, an article that uh, you had up on ClimateDepot.com last month that was uh, running under the title Population Bomb Author Paul Ehrlich Suggested Adding a Forced Sterilization, sterilization Agent to Stable Food and uh, Water Supply. And I, I thought this was an extremely effective article because it, it sometimes I think when we're discussing the, the ongoing anthropogenic climate change hoax, we tend to lose sight of the forest for the trees of the individual stories that are popping up and which you 
keep track of on climatedepot.com in, a, in an excellent manner. But we, we lose sight of the, the bigger picture, which I think is a, a virulent anti-human agenda that's being pushed um, through the, this faulty pseudoscience. And uh, for those who haven't read this article yet, uh, it, it really is a painstaking expose of what, what's driving the people who are using this, this climate change scam as a, as a type of pseudoscientific gloss for their real ide- ideology. So, Mr. Moreno, why don't you start Start by breaking down this article for us, and, and let's start with the 1972 article in the Boca Raton News that serves as the starting point for the article itself. Yeah, what I did is, I, and, and climate people, what I try to do is have beyond just climate. I have deforestation issues. We have um, overpopulation, uh, a whole bunch of environmental issues, and I try to I actually have keyword labels that people can follow. This would follow under overpopulation. And what this was was an article uh, that came out February 19th at Climate Depot, and the headline was Population Bomb Arthur Suggested, as you mentioned, for sterilization. And what it is is it was a 1972 article, June 16th, for part of the Newsweek feature service, uh, and the title of that article was Expert on Population, Pleased by Response. And the article goes on to say that in 1969, Ehrlich said if voluntary birth reduction methods did not work, a nation might have to resort to the addition of a temporary stereolent to staple food or water supply. And at the time, the newspaper quoted a critic saying that Ehrlich's views were worse than Hitler, in quotes. I don't like Nazi analogies better than anyone else, but, you know, this certainly seems very apt here. And so this is back in 1972, the face of modern environmental movement was being exposed in these newspapers. Now, what's shocking about this is not that, oh, you know, this is uh, just some, some crank from the early 70s, why are we paying attention to it? This is the father, one of the godfathers, I should say, of the modern environmental movement. He is revered. To this day, Paul Ehrlich is winning awards. To this day, people like Obama science advisor John Holdren are praising him. John Holdren co-authored books with John Holdren in the, 19, in the 1970s. Uh, but let's continue here just so you have an idea of what John Holdren is all about. It says, the 1972 article says, one of Ehrlich's most, I'm sorry, not John Holdren, but John, Paul Ehrlich, one of Ehrlich's most controversial positions it is 1972, is that countries like the U.S. cannot urge underdeveloped nations to forego industrial development in the interest of ecology while it remains a burgeoning, burgeoning economic force. And he wrote, actually wrote, it is urged the U.S. to, quote, de-develop and restore its environment and set an example for countries in Latin America, Asia, and Africa. Now let's think of the perverted morality and ethics in, inherent in Ehrlich's suggestion. He's saying the U.S. should de-develop so we can set a model of undevelopment, if that's the right word, for Latin America, Asia, Africa. Keep in mind, this is 1972. We are now in 2010. In Latin America, Asia, Africa, have about 1.6 billion people still without running water, still without electricity, that are leading nasty, brutish, and short lives, living in huts made of dung, burning dung, living in huts made of mud. And he is somehow romanticizing that as being earth-friendly, that people are living with high infant mortality rates, with no modern medicine, no modern dentistry, no defibrillators, no modern hospitals, no basic sanitation, no clean air, no clean water. This is put up as an environmental ideal. It's a perversion of science. Paul Ehrlich should be, should be disgraced scientifically, politically, and culturally. Instead, he's given awards and he's praised by current members of this administration. It's, a, again, a perversion of science. And if you continue here, 
He is saying the U.S. should de-develop. Well, this is the same theme we're finding. The head of Greenpeace just came out and basically said that economic growth was bad. Uh, we have former Governor Jerry Brown uh, at the Earth Summit in Johannesburg, South Africa. I interviewed him, and he said that the developing world can't emulate the Western world's prosperity. Here we have a guy who lives in California, flew to, to, to Africa to tell this message to the 1.6 billion people without even basic assistance subsistence level existence that they can't have what we have because the earth can't handle it. And keep in mind, this is a white politician in the U.S. telling people predominantly of color in the developing world that they can't have running water, electricity, and they can't have their children survive childhood in many instances what we're talking about here. So Paul Ehrlich was the leader in the, the, for, the, you know, the uh, he had the foresight back in the early 70s to project all this. And that's fine if someone wants to do that. But the, it's the, how the environmental movement responds to this. And just to give you an example of how prevalent this perversion of science, economics, culture, uh, and politics is, James Hansen, the NASA scientist, the gatekeeper of NASA's te- global temperature database, or temperature database, uh, has come out now and endorsed a book calling for ridding the world of industrial civilization, in quotes. Hansen declared that the author, quote, has it right, the system is the problem. The book goes on to, to demand raising of cities to the ground, blowing up dams, switching off greenhouse gas emission machine, unquote. Our lead NASA global warming scientist in 2010 is endorsing a book calling for the raising of civilization echoes of Paul Ehrlich in the 1970s. So that's why the environmental movement can't say, oh, we're just cherry-picking a few quotes from Paul Ehrlich in the early 70s. No, we're picking quotes that are the basic foundation of the modern environmental movement. It's just nakedly exposed and written in a blunt phrase without all the niceties. We're seeing that the top leaders today, John Holdren, James Hansen, of the global warming alarm movement, are 100% subscribers to the lunacy of Paul Ehrlich, a man who, by the way, in a moment of clarity, and I use that word in every tense, I use that phrase in how it's supposed to be, in 2009, October 8th, said, I wish, this is Paul Ehrlich, I wish I'd taken more math in high school and college. That would have been useful. If I were writing The Population Bomb, this was a, a silly scare book which utterly failed any basic scientific test when it came to, to, climate, to population models. He now says, Ehrlich says he wished he'd be more careful about predictions. So he realizes that his own scientific inadequacy embarrassed him, but he also realizes that given our culture today, the media and the modern environmental movement, Movement, that he's still getting awards. And, and uh, let me see here. I actually have the, the award, just so your listeners know uh, what it is. Uh, he received the Ramoff Margalef Award for Lifetime Achievements in Ecology, I believe, from Stanford University, August 7, 2009. And here's what they said, at, in this, and he received this award. Ehrlich is one of the most influential ecologists of our age. Uh, he's done an enormous amount of path-breaking work and continues to lead in addressing the major issues of our time, unquote. Well, Paul Ehrlich, if he's a leader in the major issues of our time, then science has been turned on its head. It's become anti-science. Paul Ehrlich should go down in history as one of the most disgraced scientists that we've ever seen. I, well, answered, I hope I answered your question. It, it certainly <laughs> did. I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to filibuster. Do you want me filibustering like that? Uh, I, I, filibustering is fine, certainly, when, uh, okay, when we're ahead. exposing people and, and people with an ideology like that. And you raised the point earlier that you don't like using the, the Nazi analogy, analogy but I, I think it's actually particularly apt here because what we see with this 
uh, anti-human agenda is, is really the confluence of uh, the inv- modern environmental movement. We see the, the global warming hype, and we also see the uh, the overpopulation fear-mongering, both of which I think really do have their genesis in the eugenics movement, which of course carried over from England and America to Germany in the 1930s, where it helped provide the pseudo-scientific justification for the Nazis and the Holocaust. So it, I don't think it is hyperbole to, to really well, point out the links clear, here. I, I agree with what you're saying, and, and it can, sometimes these analogies can be out. I didn't make the analogy. I was quoting a 1972 newspaper article. That's number one. Number two, the real problem with any and all Nazi analogies, though, is once you bring it into a debate, no matter how apt, it just clouds it, and then it just becomes, you know, there's a there's an actual rule how long in a debate before someone brings up a Nazi analogy. But it does, because of the overuse of it, it does take it away when it's actually appropriate. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things, once you mention that phrase, people just, it just changes the argument and people lose sight of what, the point you're trying to make. But, you know, no matter how happy the argument may be. Welcome back to the broadcast, friends. James Corbett here of CorbettReport.com. And tonight on the Friday Night Highlights edition of Corbett Report Radio, we're going over the history of Paul Ehrlich and the disgraced pseudoscience of overpopulation fear-mongering that he has made his living on for the past half century or so. And, of course, he has just come out with recent comments talking about how the Earth is just so overpopulated that we're going to have to start getting rid of people and cutting down on resources, uh, resource consumption, which is more of the depopulation fear-mongering that we've been de- debunking in great detail for a very long time at CorbettReport.com. Tonight we're listening to an interview that I conducted back in 2010 with ClimateDepot.com editor Mark Morano, who has done an excellent job of documenting the ways that Paul Ehrlich has been debunked over the decades and the dangers behind his arguments. So let's listen to a very interesting piece of that interview where Mark tells us about an interesting bet that Paul Ehrlich conducted back in the 1970s that proved he was a fearmonger. That's right. Well, well, you do raise some of... You, you also raised some of the, in that article you go into a lot of detail, but you, you also raised uh, some of the other people who were involved in this, like John Holdren, and you mentioned that uh, in 1977, the uh, Paul Ehrlich and John Holdren co-authored a, a book called Ecoscience. Why, why don't you tell us a little bit about that book? Yeah, this is the book, and this has been uh, throughout the news. Uh, they, they actually saw, they were calling for, again, the de-development of the United States. And this is something John Holdren has now tried to distance himself from by saying, well, it was a textbook, and I did different authors, and I, you know, wasn't responsible for everything in there. Uh, but here's some of the quotes from the book. This is the original book, 1973, with Paul Ehrlich and his wife. A massive campaign must be launched to restore a high-quality environment in North America and de-develop the United States. Uh, and then it goes on, Holdren, who's now, by the way, he's the director of the White House Office of Technology Policy, um, he said, quote, this is, uh, well, Hold on a second there. Uh, said they quote, they need to, for redevelopment presents our cause with a major challenge. They must redesign a stable, low-consumption economy in which there's a more equitable distribution of wealth. So we see where this is going after originally. This is the, a political, socialist at its base, ideology movement. And, uh, you know, they did in 1977 it's the science textbook, uh, which Holdren co-authored with... Uh, with Ehrlich has been, you know, actually made it to the way of congressional hearings. Uh, Senator Vitter 
from uh, um, Louisiana, New Orleans, uh, you know, Louisiana, came out and really pounded Holdren on these issues. But all they got from Holdren was, well, he's just distancing himself from this old book. And this also had to do with a lot of other, you know, uh, issues, especially related to population and dealing with um, uh, abortion and, and family planning. I mean, I mean, some people termed it that the White House are called for forced abortion, and they called it, quote, the comprehensive planetary regime could control development distribution of all natural resources. This is the book that uh, John Holdren was involved in. So it's really frightening stuff. Uh, Holdren and Ehrlich actually said the planetary regime, quote, might be given responsibility for determining the optimum population of the world and for each region and for arbitrating various countries' shares with their regional limits. The regime would have some power to enforce agreed limits, unquote. Think about that. John Holdren, in 1977, is essentially calling for global governance on population issues. This was the scare of the day, right? Along with global cooling, by the way. What? Fast forward uh, 30 years, and what do we have? The scare of the day, man-made global warming. What do we have? Al Gore calling for global governance to deal with, with man-made global warming. The UN calling for global governance. Former French President Jacques Chirac calling for global governance. Most shocking, the German climate advisor calling for a CO2 budget for every man, woman, and child on the planet, monitored by an international government that would keep track of your car mileage, your energy use, your airline travel, probably at some point your outdoor barbecuing, your fireplace use, your use of your uh, you know, electric or gas range. We're talking a level of control that people, or George Orwell, didn't contemplate. So what they've done, it's a plug-and-play scare. The 1970s overpopulation, hey, we need an international body to manage this. We need forced sterilization agents. Some people, you know, some people interpret that as forced abortions. At the same time, 30 years later, the global warming movement comes up with the same exact goal, same exact means to achieve them. They just plugged in another bogus eco-scare that we've been conned, you know, they've tried to con the American people and the international community with. It is frightening. It is the same methods and ideology the environmental movement has employed since the late 1960s. And again, it always comes down to we know what's best for you. If you go back at the global cooling scare, the same language. We have to act now. This is man-made global cooling. The aerosols are blocking the sun. We have global dimming. We need to put soot in the Arctic, ashes in the Arctic to you know, try to melt it because it's, it's freezing up too fast. And guess what they predicted? Same thing. Stuff like uh, famine, drought, increased war, uh, all kinds of wacky weather, all because of man-made cooling. Well, guess what? That didn't work so well. That died by about 1980, and they waited eight years and then launched global warming, and they came up with the same rhetoric. It's literally plug, uh, just plug and play the rhetoric, change the, change the actual scare, but keep all the same solutions and all the same dire consequences if we don't act. The modern environmental movement is guilty of one of the greatest con jobs in the history of our planet when it comes to to baseless eco-scares. And you can go through it, whether it's the deforestation, the Amazon rainforest. We had people predicting the Amazon would be gone by the year 1990, 2000. We had people saying, you know, there were X amount of football fields a minute clearing and it was disappearing. And now you fast forward to 2009 and you have the New York Times finally admitting for every acre of rainforest cut, maybe 50 are estimated to be growing back. People are leaving the jungles. They're calling them the galloping jungles. They're quoting people saying maybe it wasn't such an urgent eco-scare after all. So if you go back and you also look at the resource scarcity, Paul Ehrlich, by the way, was involved in that. Our plagiarists fashion says, let's play it. 
right, friends, we're back here on Corporate Report Radio as tonight we're going over the Malthusian ravings of the discredited, debunked, and still very dangerous Paul Ehrlich and the like, the many, very many eugenicists who infest the top layer of so many academic societies and scientific fields of study that really do have a passion for eliminating vast swaths of the human population from the face of the planet forever in the name of their chicken little sky is falling debunked Malthusian philosophy. And tonight we are going over uh, Paul Ehrlich in, in particular and John P. Holdren, the Obama sciences are, and their ravings over the years. And we are listening in on an interview that I conducted with Mark Morano back in 2010. Once again, Mark Morano of climatedepot.com. So I would suggest that you go to the archives to listen to the full interview, uncut and unplugged. It's from the 4th of March, 2010, and it's interview 136 in the archives for those who are keeping track at home. And the link to that interview will be available, of course, in the show notes for tonight's episode of the broadcast, Corbett Report Radio, episode 121 for those keeping track at home. And the show notes, as always, will be at corbettreport.com slash radio. I would also direct you, of course, to the excellent article that was really uh, the prompt for me to get in touch with Mark Morano about Paul Ehrlich. It's called Accurate Tribute to Paul Ehrlich, Mad, Kook, Lunatic, Disgraced, Worse Than Hitler, Fearmonger, Parasite on Academic System, Bernie Madoff of Science. And no, Mark Moreno is not one to hold uh, hold back on his punches. So, and always an interesting uh, character to talk to. And I did talk to him, uh, again, somewhat recently in the wake of Climategate 2.0 and in the run-up to the most recent UN IPCC conference. On that note, let's go back to the uh, interview, 2010, talking with Mark Morano about Paul Ehrlich and John P. Holdren. Uh, the idea that we were facing this, we we're going to be facing famines and that we wouldn't have the resources to feed this insanely driving global population. Well, guess what? He did a bet uh, in 19, I believe it was 1979, and it was, uh, you know, again, Paul Ehrlich discredited. And he, he of course, tried to spin that. He did a bet with economist Julian Simon. And the idea was that in, 19, in 1980, they picked five resources, and they said, and Ehrlich's, of Ehrlich's choosing, by the way, and he said, the more expensive in 10 years. Ehrlich lost. Ten years later, in 1990, every one of the resources that Ehrlich had handpicked had declined in price by an average of 40%. So here's, here's, another, here's another thing that I think Paul Ehrlich and his regret about not having more science capability. One of the things the modern environmental movement owes a debt of gratitude toward Paul Ehrlich, is Paul Ehrlich and a few other people uh, had made these outrageous, baselessly scientific predictions in their lifetime. Some of these predictions, they made the dire consequences would happen in 5, 10, 20, 25 years. Well, guess what? They all lived long enough to be humiliated. So what did they learn from Paul Ehrlich? And this is where he probably the only thing he's been useful to them really for. They learned if you're going to come up with a dire eco-scare and you have a deadline for where they, when a dire consequence is about to happen, it better be so far into the future. And here's how you can tell they've learned. If you listen to the global dire predictions of your, of your latest eco-scare, you'll look at the date of birth of the person making the dire prediction, of, of the person making the dire prediction, and then look at the year the dire prediction is supposed to happen, and you've found one thing we've learned. There'll be, the person making the dire prediction will be long dead before you can verify whether they're right or wrong. And that is where Paul Ehrlich has probably done the only service to the modern environmental movement. He's taught them, push your dire predictions and your, and your scare campaigns to long after you're dead because you don't want to have to face uh, you know, any kind of scrutiny on it. And that's why I think you know, he has been useful. 
Right. Well, well, maybe that's an indicator that Glacier Gate was a genuine mistake because uh, they didn't they they put it much too early. People will still be right, alive. Twenty thirty five. Right. Yeah. Uh, Twenty one thirty five. Yeah. Twenty thirty. Twenty thirty five. Right. Well, we'll still be around at that time. So. Well, but let me anyway. let me just continue here, just to show you sure. how you know in my piece on the the February nineteenth piece, Ehrlich's views on the human race permeate the global warming movement of today. And what do I mean by that? Let's take a little let's take a little walk down the wacky world of envi- modern environmentalism. New York Times columnist Tom Friedman in Taiwan. I'm going to tell you this is a quote. I'm going to tell you a secret. There are too many Americans in the world today. Unquote. Ooh, popular science. This is a question they're now asking, September 18, 2009. Should the right to bear children be more regulated? Or is it a fundamental right that we should be able to breed nilly-willy even if it destroys the planet, unquote? So the population control still permeating, even though it's been completely disgraced scientifically. Even Grist Magazine ran an article, I think it was 2005 or six, the Eco Magazine, saying is underpopulation the new the new world problem, and they're going through all the birth rates. The bottom line is what they've done and what Paul Ehrlich just idiotically did in the early 70s, they got these models that said, if this continues, we're going to have X amount of growth here and X amount of growth here, very similar to what um, people do today to try to scare you about the Arctic or anything else. They'll say, well, the Arctic's warmed up X amount at 15 degrees. If this warming trend continues over the next 300 years, well, no, that's like looking at your – uh, you know, one-year-old child and saying, wow, they've grown a lot in a year. If this growth rate continues, my child's going to be 30 feet high. They have no allowance for the natural stabilization that occurs, and particularly when it comes to population. Uh, you know, we're finding that as countries become more developed, their population slows. So these wild-eyed estimates, uh, you know, of these growth rates we're now, are now scientifically laughable. Paul Ehrlich deserves derision and mockery and laughter from the scientific community. He's, again, he should be disgraced, not given awards. Beyond that, well, let's take a look at some other things. Climate activist Michael Tobin uh, is basically saying, telling a, a mother of, uh, I think it was a mother of nine kids, uh, that she was, that's hard to imagine she could keep up on complex issues. Therefore, her opinion on things like global warming aren't relevant. This is a scientist who says, I think having more two children per family in an overcrowded world is ethically dubious. So they're still promoting this idea that, you know, children are a burden and children are evil and are sinful, uh, and essentially wrong. And now here's some other things. They're still, um, Ehrlich, uh, Ehrlich's call for de-developing it. Obama, is, this is a perversion of, uh, of morality. President Obama is supporting limiting development in poverty-stricken nations right now. This is this year, January 25th. Obama to World Bank, don't fund coal-fired plants in developing countries due to global warming fears. This is the modern eco-scare is once again, the victims of this scare are predominantly people of color, 1.6 billion people who don't have the basics, running water and electricity, living a subsistence lifestyle. Wealthy Western leaders are telling them they can't have modern energy that would bring them infrastructure and all these in modern medicine. Uh, in 2002, Gar Smith, a leading environmental, lamented the introduction of electricity in Africa. Again, this is, you know, the idea, this is a white man basically re- reminiscing that Africans should be, you know, be uh, in a tribal world living in huts, and, and he doesn't like the idea of what electricity has done to their culture, and it's wrong, and it's bad for the planet. This, is, this would be you know, elitist racism if we were being blunt and honest. And uh, I've already mentioned uh, Jerry Brown. 
A Ugandan activist in 2009 put it bluntly, and this is an activist lamenting all of this, you know, de-development that Paul Ehrlich and the modern movement, you know, fans, quote, African lifespan is lower today in 2009 than it was in the U.S. and Europe 100 years ago. But Africans are told we simply shouldn't develop because wealthy Western nations are worried about global warming. And they go on to say telling Africans they can't have electricity and economic development is immoral. So Al Gore is right. It is a moral question. The problem is the modern environmental movement is and has been on the wrong side of the morality on this issue for decades. Uh, and here's an interesting one. I interviewed um, a, a African activist, development activist, in uh, 2003. And he said that poor countries should tell the wealthy countries, in other words, paging Jerry Brown, paging, uh, uh, paging modern environmental movement, the poor countries should tell the wealthy Western nations to go to hell. And, and, and he says, quote, if the, poor, if the wealthy Western nations don't want the poor countries in wetlands, then they should, the U.S. and other Western cities should be bombed like Washington, Holland, and Rotterdam and restore them to swamps, jungles, and wetlands. And actually, to give it Paul Ehrlich credit, he was basically saying that. And that's what, you know, they're actually saying the U.S. should de-develop so that the, wealth, so that the, West, the, the developing world doesn't look with envy at the U.S. So at least there's some, a little bit of... Um, bizarre uh, consistency there, uh, but the bottom line is most environmentalists, well, I, met, I interviewed an environmental activist, again, at this Earth Summit in, in South Africa. They were flying around the world. I called them green missionaries, going in and telling the, the people without running water, without electricity, living in dire poverty, dying early, their children dying young, telling them that they were doing it right, that the U.S. was doing it wrong, and that they should be proud of themselves for living such a primitive existence. Uh, and, but the same, same people that make these claims, and one of them being um, uh, a guy named Keating from Rainforest Relief, said that people lived just fine for thousands of years without running water and electricity. Well, he himself had faxes, phone numbers, and took the example of the modern world. You know, until people start going to live in the developing world in huts made of dung, burning dung for an existence, breathing in all the, uh, the smoke, eating the, 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 the food that um, the developing world's forced to eat and drinking the water, they have no business, no business. It's particularly the Hollywood celebrity set flying around in, in private jets and living in L.A. in multiple homes, have no business telling the developing world that they can't have the prosperity and wealth and modern conveniences that the Western world has. It's a moral question. Um, and some people have called it, Philip Stott, the U.K. scientist, has called it a new form of colonialism. He calls it um, neo-colonialism, where you're going to have the white, wealthy Western world managing the energy economies of these poor nations, all, again, based on Paul Ehrlich's, you could call it visionary, some would say uh, madness, leadership uh, back in the late 60s and early 70s. So this new form of colonialism, again, is just as destructive and, you know, many people would say much worse than any of the, of the uh, original colonialism because this is all negative. You know, you could argue the original forms of colonialism at least brought modern civilization, modern medicine, some progress, but it also brought, of course, you know, the, the continuing horrors of uh, slavery and torture and a lot of death and destruction and cultural, you know, people would say cultural genocide. But this new form of colonialism may be worse than the original colonialism because we are now talking about a colonialism that sends in Oxfam to African nations and, and teaches them uh, that they can use a, a bullock for animals for plowing fields, that they're doing it right, that they don't need to bring in modern agricultural equipment. So it, just to give you a few more examples of Paul Ehrlich's legacy today, 
people in Chad in 2009, this is an article, Chad's global warming inspired ban on charcoal leads to desperate families. And their uh, environmental minister said, of course, cooking is a fundamental necessity, but so are concerns about global warming. Again, people at barely subsistence levels paying the price for Al Gore and the latest eco-scare. Poor Kenyans rebel at a UK grocery store, I think it was in 2007. Here was a grocery store in England trying to do the politically correct thing by lowering the carbon footprint. We're not going to export food for Fruit, fruit from faraway countries. Well, guess what? Poor African farmers were the ones impacted by these decisions. India has been very blunt in this. They've told the UN it is really wrong for us to reduce emissions when 40% of Indians do not have access to electricity. Let's repeat that. It is morally wrong. In other words, 40, they're not going to sign on to an energy rationing treaty. The, the leadership of India gets it. Uh, they're not going to reduce it when 40% of their residents don't have electricity. Uh, and then it continues. The green and rich African elites impose deadly anti-development colonialism. I was in a debate with um, George Mambiat, the, the UK environmentalist, and we were talking about Copenhagen. This was at Copenhagen in, in December 2009. And we were talking about, you know, these African nations essentially agreeing to being, being have their development controlled by international authorities and being to tell their people that they can't develop. I was saying it was immoral, a new form of colonialism. And his retort was, well, why are these African leaders signing up for it? Here they are. You know, it's so bad. Why is, it, why is the leadership here begging them for the money and, and begging to have this done? Well, the very simple reason. The leadership is the one that's going to benefit. Corrupt third world dictators and the like are going to be the ones benefiting from this, you know, again, subsidies. This, this is what Tom Arnold, the Hollywood actor, married to Roseanne Barr, told me at Earth Day 2000 in Washington. We need to subsidize the developing nations. We can't allow them to develop. We have to control the development and we'll subsidize them. We'll give them enough so that they can have a, a better lifestyle so maybe not as many of them will die and we'll give them some basic necessities, but we have to manage it. And that's the same thing George Mambia missed is all these African leaders, Asian leaders, South American leaders, the people clamoring for this, want it because this is going to be like basically a foreign aid check that they can do whatever they want with. And it is all just rife with corruption. But it doesn't mean the actual people in the country are benefiting from this kind of perverted, immoral energy policy. Uh, so the bottom line is, it, it, someone else who's recognized this is uh, Patrick Moore, one of the founding members of Greenpeace who left the group in the 80s because they were too radical. He now calls the modern environmental movement the most anti-human agenda uh, around today. And if you look at it again, it just goes on and on. Uh, Chevy Chase, the actor, uh, has said socialism works. Cuba might prove that. Uh, and it's just this elitist attitude that the rest of the world needs. They can't have what we have because the earth can't handle it. We need to keep them, uh, keep them down in many ways. And it's a perversion. And, but, you know, there's been some bright spots. The Washington Post in 2009, September, in poorer nations, energy trumps climate issues. And they said millions of people are eager to buy their first washing machines, refrigerators, air conditioners. The dearth of poverty hinders prosperity. So the Washington Post recognizes this. People in the developing world aren't sitting there looking at climate models of the year 2100 and saying, oh, my God, we better hurry up. We better not burn dung tonight in our hut because, uh, you know, we're going to face a calamity. That's perversion. That's immoral. And not only is it scientifically discredited, but that the bottom line is they need carbon-based energy. And I'll leave you with this thought. Carbon-based energy is one of the greatest liberators of mankind in the history of our planet. It, is, it has brought man out of a nasty, brutish, short existence. To the extent that people are battling a war on modern civilization, Paul Ehrlich helped launch this uh, back in, in the 1960s. 
James Hansen carries the torch today, John Holdren, and many others in the modern environmental movement, uh, including uh, uh, Green and Al Gore and, uh, and across the board, all in varying degrees of, um, you know, of, uh, of radicalism. But, you know, they're not all to the extreme extent that Paul Ehrlich was uh, back then, but it's the part that underpins their movement. And the fact that Paul Ehrlich's still winning awards today, shame on them, shame on them. Well, Mr. Moreno, no, I, I got you know I got a little bit off apparently <laughs> toward the end there, but I wanted to show you that his thoughts in the '60s and '70s are now being reality now. Well, I, I probably couldn't have said it better myself, but I certainly couldn't have said it without stopping. So, uh, while you take a much-needed pause for breath, let me just say that I, I'm glad you're on our side. Um, absolutely, an incredible uh, amount of information, and and there is a lot of information for people to look at in this issue. So, so why don't you direct people to your website? Yeah, go to climatedepot.com. It's updated throughout the day. And this is, uh, you know, if you want to find, you can just look up Ehrlich or uh, look up overpopulation in the uh, search engine. And then you look up the little tags. I have tags, uh, you know, uh, topic tags. You can look up everything from climate models to um, to deforestation to overpopulation to uh, sea levels to hurricanes to Arctic, Antarctic. Uh, across the board, I try to cover every single possible topic. And you'll find from A to Z, the modern environmental movement quite simply has egg on their face. Absolutely. Well, uh, and, and thanks in large part to the work that you're doing exposing that egg. So th- thank you very much for all the work you're doing, and, and my hat's off to you. Um, Mark Moreno, thank you for joining me today on The Corporate Report. Thank you very much, and uh, okay, appreciate it. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to the closing minutes of tonight's edition of Corbett Report Radio. In fact, the closing minutes of this week's edition of the broadcast. And tonight, if for those of you who are just joining us, we've been talking about Paul Ehrlich and the disgraced Malthusian overpopulation fearmongers who really do have a, a burning passion to get rid of vast swaths of the globe's population in the name of their over, overpopulation fearmongering myth. And we've been debunking that in style by listening to an excellent interview with the always informative and insightful and uh, articulate Mark Morano of ClimateDepot.com. I will once again direct people to Climate Depot for that accurate tribute to, to Paul Ehrlich article that I've been citing tonight, which is a great summary of all of the various ways that Ehrlich has been debunked over the years. And it, contri- it, it contains links to all sorts of different things that have been written uh, uh, and available at Climate Depot, like discredited overpopulation fearmonger Paul Ehrlich on skeptics. We're in a street fight against well-funded, merciless enemies who play by entirely different rules. Or 1972 article unearthed, worse than Hitler, popul- population bomb author Paul Ehrlich suggested adding a forced sterilization agent to staple food and water supply, warned of unpredictable climate effects. Uh, paging Paul Ehrlich, Fred Pierce on the overpopulation myth, population growth is slowing, the idea that growing human numbers will destroy the planet is nonsense. 
Paul Ehrlich's lifetime of hot air. He's been wrong on every count. It goes on and on and on. A ton of information there. So I do hope that you will get that and more importantly, get it out to others because I think there's a tendency for us out there who know that this overpopulation fear-mongering is a myth to get complacent in our understanding of the the mythological aspect of this chicken little sky is falling philosophy, which is really just the false front for an urge to get rid of so much of the world's population and this dream of the few at the top that they're going to propagate into the future with their healthy genes as they weed out the horrible genes of all of these poor folk who, who don't know any better, according to these eugenicists. And it is, it is incumbent on us who do know about this information and can demonstrate how wrong these people have been for how many decades for us to do so to other people who don't know about how this system works so that we can continue to spread the word and continue to absolutely discredit and debunk these overpopulation fear mongers in the minds of the public. And on that note, again, it's a battle and it's one that is constantly being waged whether we're aware of it or not. Latest news from the Netherlands, quite scary indeed, calls for compulsory contraception. And uh, this comes from Radio Netherlands Worldwide, quote, The Netherlands needs legal provisions to allow compulsory contraception for serious drug addicts, psychiatric patients, and the mentally handicapped. That's the controversial argument being made by Queen Beatrix's brother-in-law, Peter van Vollenhoven, former head of the Dutch Safety Board. The subject of compulsory contraception is taboo in the, Nether- in the Netherlands, but Mr. van Vollenhoven... Vollenhoven, sorry, believes that situations regularly occur in which such a far-reaching measure should nevertheless be possible. Again, it goes on and on from there, and that's just scraping the very top surface of the uh, all-too-horrific veneer of these eugenicists and their dream of depopulation. Once again, surprise, surprise, a member of the royalty being uh, all on board with his depopulation agenda. Who would have thunk it? Well, on that note, that does end tonight's edition of the broadcast and this week's edition of Corporate Report Radio. But of course, we will be back next week with an absolute jam-packed transmission, guests basically every night. I certainly hope you'll be joining me for that and staying tuned to CorbettReport.com for all the news and information that's coming out there on a daily basis. So until next week, thank you for listening and take care.